It is great to see you all here in person, online. It is Advent. We are preparing for Christmas, for the coming of the Savior of the world. So today, let's start by talking about Santa. Not the actual guy, St. Nicholas. Let's talk about the guy in popular culture that's on TV. When I say Santa Claus, who do we picture? Is this the guy? Is this the guy we picture? Yeah, I I think for many of us, it is. It's a chubby, old, jolly white guy. That's who we picture. Now, not all of us are white, so some of us may actually picture the black Santa bringing us our gifts. I guess the question is, if this is who we picture, is he just like us? Does he have to be just like us? Really, the question I want to ask is, who are we comfortable with sneaking in our houses when we're asleep and bringing us gifts? Um, Are we okay with it being someone from a different race? If, If he was jolly, if he was just there to bring us presents, would we be okay with the Republican Santa or the Democrat Santa sneaking into our houses? I mean, seriously, how about the homeless guy Santa? Or maybe the super gay Santa? Or the immigrant, the, uh, the refugee Santa? Would we be comfortable with the, I don't know, redneck Santa? Or the conspiracy theory Santa giving us gifts? Well, how about the anti vax Santa with a cough? Would we want him in our house? Okay. How's this making us feel? Maybe funny, but a little bit uncomfortable? Maybe it feels a little bit like a test? I'm not trying to test us. I'm trying to get our attention. But God, he's trying to test us. You bet he is. He tests his people, the people he loves. And it's a good thing. It's an opportunity for us to put our trust in God. Being tested by God is all throughout the Bible, right? It is very important as part of following Jesus. And in fact, we have a video from the folks at the Bible Project that puts God's testing into perspective. So let's watch that now. The story of the Bible begins with God creating a beautiful world and then sharing it with all of his creatures. And he appoints Adam and Eve to rule it on his behalf. And God gives them access to his wisdom and life, but then tells them that there's one tree they can't eat from because it will lead to death. So they have a choice about how to rule with God. This kind of feels like a test. Well, that's because it is a test. But isn't that kind of cruel for God to test them? Well, not all tests are bad. Let's say there's a king who chooses you to fulfill a royal task because he wants to know if you are trustworthy. Well, I guess that's a test, but really it's an opportunity to do something important and noble. Right. But then let's say there's a rebel who hates the king and you. And he tries to convince you that you would be better off not doing what the king asks. Well, the rebel is setting a trap. Right. So a test could be an opportunity or a trap. And the difference is whether the one testing you has your best interests in mind. I see. And both types of tests appear in the beginning of the Bible. God tells them to eat of the tree of life and not the forbidden tree. Yeah, this is God's test of loyalty. 
God wants to rule the world with humans as his partners, which means they will need to trust his wisdom over their own. But then a rebel comes and tests them to eat of that other tree. Right. The rebel seizes this opportunity and twists it so he can lead the humans into exile and ultimately death. He turns the test into a trap. But after the humans fail, God promises that one day a human will come who will pass the test and defeat the snake. And as the story moves on, God gives a couple named Abraham and Sarah an opportunity to trust him by leaving their family behind to go to a new land where God will use them to restore his blessing to all people. So this is a test. And at first, things go well. But Abraham quickly fails. He lies to protect himself, and then he and Sarah scheme to get a son their own way by abusing one of their servants. Definitely not passing the test. But God doesn't give up on Abraham. He gives him one final opportunity, a test to prove his loyalty. God asks Abraham to go up onto a hill and offer his son as a sacrifice. I can't imagine a more intense test. And Abraham does it. But in the last moment, God stops him and provides a substitute animal in the place of his son. God then says he will fulfill his promise through Abraham's family because he passed this test. So Abraham passed this test, but he hasn't proven to be a fully trustworthy partner. We're still waiting for someone who can pass the ultimate test. Yeah, and as the family of Abraham grows and becomes a nation, God continues to test them. Like when the Israelites wander in the wilderness for 40 years. They have lots of opportunities to trust in God, to provide water or daily bread. But they instead blame God and even say that he trapped them in the desert to kill them. And so the rest of Israel's story in the Hebrew scriptures is pretty much the same. The Israelites don't trust in God and his promise. They're not loyal. And eventually the whole nation fails. So humans have an amazing opportunity to partner with God, but no one is really qualified. And so all of this brings us forward to Jesus. There's a story where Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights without food or water. Ah, yes, the wilderness. And there he meets a sinister creature who tries to trap him. But Jesus trusts in God's wisdom. And he passes the test. Then later there's the story about Jesus going to pray with some friends, and God commissions him to go up to Jerusalem and to give up his life. And so he goes. And on the night of his arrest, Jesus took his friends and went to a garden. And he told them to pray, because tonight, he said, is the great test. And he prayed to God, please let this test pass from me, but not my desire, rather may your desire be done. In this garden, Jesus shows us what passing the test looks like. He trusted in God's wisdom. He loved others more than himself, and he confronted evil with good. Even though it cost him his life. Right. Jesus offered his own life as a sacrifice to cover for all of the failed tests of his people Israel and of all humanity. Jesus passed the ultimate test on behalf of us all. This is amazing, but that doesn't mean everything is going to be great in our lives. I mean, let's be honest, we're going to face our own tests every day. 
Right. Jesus said every generation of his followers would have their own tests that will force them to trust God in radical new ways. And these tests can be difficult and often painful. But remember, a test from a good God is an opportunity. This is why James, a leader in the early Jesus movement, said that we should be grateful when we face tests and trials because they offer us a gift. It's an opportunity to surrender to God's wisdom and to become more like Jesus, the one who loved us and who passed the test on our behalf. So, even if we have mixed feelings about tests, I'm praying that today we will take this opportunity, this opportunity to show our loyalty to God, to this opportunity to surrender to God's wisdom, to what he's doing in our life, becoming more like him. So, back to Santa. Who are we comfortable with giving us gifts? I think for most of us, this is it. Let's check out a story in the Bible about receiving gifts. This is Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judea, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When Herod, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out where and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Jerusalem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may go and worship him. <laughs> After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And, uh, and the star they had seen when it rose, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Wow. This is dramatic. And many of us know this story, right? We, we've got the three wise men standing in the back of our nativity scenes. Maybe we even know the song, you know, we three kings of Orient are. But that's not what I just read, is it? There's not three kings in the story. There's just one, one evil snake-like king. The guys that bring presents to baby Jesus aren't kings. They're magi. They're magicians, astrologers, pagans. And there aren't even three of them. There are three gifts 
but we don't know how many magi they are, and they don't show up at the manger. They show up at Jesus' house later. What the frankincense is going on here? I'll tell you what's going on. History, tradition has tamed, it has smoothed over this story. Historians, they point to the fact that Jews, Christians at the time that originally heard this story, this story would have shot up a red flag for them. Because magi, magicians, astrologers, this is the only time they are good guys in the Bible. The entire rest of the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, magi, what they do is condemned. It's talked about negatively. Uh, In other words, these weren't the kind of guys that you wanted showing up at your house to give you gifts. No decent person would have been comfortable with that back then. Yet, this is who God uses to give the first Christmas presents. And these are really important presents. Jesus' family needs them to escape from Herod. Okay, back to Santa. Do you see why I keep asking, who are you comfortable with giving you gifts? It feels like maybe God wants to flip things. Right? Maybe God wants to change our hearts so we are more comfortable receiving gifts from people who aren't like us, who don't look like us, who are are very different from us. That's the test that we're going to press into today. God is testing our loyalty by whether or not we will accept help from others. God, he he is testing our faith in him as savior of the world by whether we will accept help from people who are really different from us. And don't forget the video. This is a cool opportunity for us, an amazing opportunity. God, he's giving us this opportunity to let others, people who are different from us, help us so we can become more like Jesus. So that we, we, can, can be, we, we can help partner with him to, to actually help save the world. This is great stuff. And you know, it fits right in to our study of Exodus. If you've been with us here at the Vineyard this fall, we've been studying through the Old Testament book of Exodus. We've seen how God has saved his people Israel from slavery in Egypt and that how he did it, it defines, it declares his name, his, his character, his purpose. And now we're in the wilderness, right? We're in this liminal space that Michael talked about last week. And God is testing his people. He's testing Moses, So we're in Exodus chapter 13. And uh, Moses, and I should point this out in chapter 13 of Exodus. Um, Moses' fa- this is where Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, comes to meet him in the wilderness. And we should remember back from chapter 2 that Jethro is a Midianite. Okay? He's like the Amalekites that they just fought. He, he is a foreigner. It, it's like... Uh, Jethro is to Moses like the Magi is to baby Jesus, except maybe even more of a red flag. If we kept reading through the Bible, we'd get to Numbers 25 where it says, the Lord, that's Yahweh, said to Moses, treat the Midianites as enemies and kill them. They treated you as enemies when they deceived you. Ouch. Now, obviously, there's more to that story. 
But what we need to see here is that God is giving Moses an opportunity to let someone help him who's really different of, than he is. Okay, so Exodus. We're starting in chapter 18. We're starting in verse 7. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other. Uh, they greeted, sorry, they each, they greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father about law, about everything the Lord, Yahweh, had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for, the Israelite, for Israel's sake, and about all the hardships they had met along the way, and how the Lord, Yahweh, had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things Yahweh had done for Israel to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to Yahweh, who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh. And who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all other gods, for he did this to those whom he had who, who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat the meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. Okay, this is great. I mean, if, you, if you've been with us the last few weeks and months, you know that God, he rescues his people, Israel. He brings the, the, um, the plagues on the Egyptians in order to introduce himself, in order to make himself famous. And here, this foreigner gets it. He gets who God is. It is working. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw, saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why, are you alone, why, are, why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? Moses answered him, because the, people came, because the people come to me to seek God's will, whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and, these people, you, you and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Not good to be alone. It's the same thing that God said about Adam in the garden at the start, right? That, that it, this is meant to remind us that Jethro, he is speaking the wisdom of God. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, twenties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all the people 
will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, people, officials over thousands, hundreds, twenties, and tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. All right. For us today, this story can seem a little bit dull, right? Moses, he's dealing with administrative details, right? He's shortening hold times. And yet, this is an important story. This is a big deal to God how we treat people that are different than us. In the wilderness, God is testing Moses, right? He's giving Moses the opportunity to show his loyalty to God. He's giving Moses the opportunity to surrender to God's wisdom. Will Moses accept help from God no matter where it comes from, even if it comes from foreigners? Let's look at our own lives, at us. When's the last time we let a foreigner help us? When's the last time we let someone of a different race, a different socioeconomic status, a different political party, a different religion help us or give us a gift? Does that question make us a little uncomfortable? Well, testing can be uncomfortable. How about this? It's been um, over two years now since George Floyd was murdered right here in Minnesota. Okay, so how are we doing with that? Are we, individually, as a community, are we better at loving across our differences than we were then? How are we becoming more like Jesus in this area? And if you think that this test, this loving across our differences, that it's not super, super important to Jesus, let me show you something in your Bible right now. Open up your Bible to Luke chapter 2. I love Luke 2. Luke 2 is the Christmas story that I read my kids every Christmas. It is beautiful. It's the, the, the shepherds in the field and the angels singing and Jesus in the manger. It is a beautiful story. Now, Just turn one page, just flip one page to Luke chapter 4. It is the first sermon, the first talk that Jesus ever gives. And he starts out that talk by reading the great prophecy from Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. He's sent to recovery of sight to the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This wonderful prophecy. And then Jesus, he starts his talk. He starts his first sermon by declaring this. These words that have echoed down through the centuries. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. It's a powerful start to his message. But do you know how that sermon ends? It has been tamed, it has been overlooked. Jesus said, There were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land. 
Yet Elijah, the great prophet of Israel, was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zephyrpath, in the region of Sidon, to a Gentile. That's who he was sent to save. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian, in his very first sermon. Jesus is saying that God, he doesn't belong to you. He doesn't belong to any one nation, one race, one political party. No, Jesus is saying, he's saying, I'm the savior of the world, the entire world, all of it. That's the point he's driving home. Loving across our differences really matters to Jesus. And that day, they failed that test. What Jesus said made them so mad that they literally tried to throw him off a cliff. Please, don't let that give you any ideas in case you don't like today's talk. And Jesus, he didn't just teach this. He demonstrated it. One of the best stories in the Bible is in John chapter 4. Samaritans and Jews don't get along, so Jesus has to go to Samaria. And he's walking through, and he's hot, and he's tired, and he's thirsty, and he's sitting by a well when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. No Samaritan Santas for the Jews. I mean, obviously. And yet, Jesus, he's there, right? He's asking a Samaritan woman for a drink. He's talking to a Samaritan woman. He is breaking all kinds of cultural rules to love across his differences because he is the savior of the world, the entire world. Now, I could keep going with this, right? But hopefully that's enough to see that this is really important to God, right? Reconciliation, racial reconciliation, political reconciliation, all kinds of reconciliation. It's kingdom work, kingdom of God work. Today, God is asking us, will we surrender to his wisdom in this area? Will we? God's giving us people who are different than us to to let them help us Right? Will we let them help us so we can become more like Jesus and help be part of saving the world? Will we do that? That's the question for today. So let's break down this test a little bit. Let, let, let's press into it. First of all, letting other people help us, that's a test of faith. It shows what we're putting our faith in. Many of us, right? When our standard response when someone says, can I help you? When they ask to help us, is just, no, no thanks, I got it. No thanks, I got it. Often that's just pride, right? Instead of humbling ourselves and letting someone else help us, we put our faith in ourselves. We believe in ourselves. I love the way when Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, shows up, 
Moses bows to him. Moses is humble enough to accept God's help no matter how it comes to us. We can't put our faith in Jesus without humility. Pride, it's just a fancy way, a super dangerous way of us putting our faith in ourselves. So, really practically, to, to, to increase our humility, to increase our capacity for faith in Jesus, the next five people that offer you help, the next five people, even, whatever help that is, even if you could absolutely do it better than they could, accept their help. Do it as spiritual training. Do it as a way to strengthen your soul. Okay, so this test of faith, it, it, it is about getting our faith out of ourselves, but it's also about putting that faith into Jesus, right? It, it, God gives us this opportunity to let people that are different than us help us because it actually does help us put our faith in Jesus, in who he actually is, but before we get to our faith, we got to look. You got you to see the incredible faith of all the foreigners in these different stories. I mean, it's crazy. Before Jesus had done a single miracle, before he had dropped a single truth bomb, the Magi knew that he was king of the Jews. They worshiped him. Think of that faith. Jethro, right, this foreigner, he sees what Yahweh has done and he easily connects the dots and worships him. The woman at the well, I mean, read John chapter 4. She talks to Jesus and she sees that he is the source of living water. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. And she actually becomes the first evangelist in the world. They see who God is. They believe and they act on it. That's faith. So for us, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus in our life? Is he the savior of the world? Do we act like Jesus is the savior of the world? Or is he the savior of what? Is Jesus the savior of Americans? Savior of Republicans, savior of Democrats. Maybe Jesus is the savior of the people that work hard, get their act together, help themselves. Is Jesus savior of the straight people? Jesus, savior of the white people. Jesus, savior of people who are just like me. No, he's not any of those things. He is savior of the world, the entire world. And the danger for us is we're going to miss him. We're going to miss Jesus because we're putting our faith in our pretend Jesus who doesn't exist. Now, we don't label Jesus savior of the white people or anything like that. At least most of us don't because we don't have to, right? We, we just live like it's true, like it's a practical reality. Jesus invites us. He commands us, actually. It's a pretty strong invitation. He commands us to love one another. And we just love people that are like us. And we hardly even notice. So Jesus gives us a way to see the truth, to see our idolatry, by letting people who are different than us help us. 
The 12 jokers, the the 12 disciples, right? They got super offended that Jesus would let a Samaritan woman help him because of their idolatry, because they put way too much faith in being Jewish, male, and a rabbi. Who are we uncomfortable with helping us? Who never helps us? Why? What do we have our faith in, really? Holy Spirit, come. Come and show us your truth. Lord, Lord, help us to surrender to God's wisdom. All right. Letting others help us is also a test of relationship. Our relationship with, our, with God and our relationship with others. So let's start with our relationship with God, okay? Um, just like how the test of faith involved asking, who, who is Jesus? This test of relationship involves asking, who are we? Who are we? Is our identity defined by our relationship to God? I mean, children of God... Children of God, if, if, if we're followers of Jesus, that's our ultimate identity, children of God. Jesus' good friend, John, he wrote, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And our Father, he takes care of us. Jesus' brother, he wrote, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So, Moses, because Moses was a child of God, he could see that this good advice from a pagan brother-in-law was a gift of God. It was God's wisdom. Because they were children of God, Mary and Joseph, they could see that these, the, the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, they were good gifts from, from pagans, pagan magicians, but they needed those resources to escape. Jesus, he drinks the water from the Samaritan woman, from, from a woman who's caught in sexual sin. He, he drinks the water because he knows who he is. He knows that her sin can't rub off on him by, by talking to her, by drinking water from her. I wish I would have learned this lesson way earlier in my life. When I was in my uh, 20s, I lived in San Francisco. And I experienced such a warm, such a genuine welcome from my gay friends. And and I should have seen better how that was a lesson. That was a master class in hospitality, in beautiful hospitality. Yet, I was nervous. There was sexual sin. And I wasn't confident enough in my identity as a child of God to just receive that good and perfect gift with confidence. I could have done better on that test. But you, you can learn from the young and dumb me. You can. If there's people in your life that make you nervous, if there's people that you'd be, a, you'd, you'd be uncomfortable, you'd be nervous if they were to give you a gift, if they, if they were to help you, step back. Who are you? What is your relationship with God? Okay, 
this test of letting others help us, it's not just about our relationship with God. It is definitely about our relationship with other people. So again, when's the last time you let a foreigner help you? When's the last time someone of a different race or economic status or politics or religion helped us or gave us a gift? Now, I know many of us are saying, but, but I don't know anybody like that. I certainly don't know anyone like that well enough that they would help me, that they would give me a gift. Exactly. Isn't God a genius? Oh, he totally is. <laughs> yeah, putting aside the rare exceptions of, you know, magi showing up at our door and ringing our doorbell, you can't pass this test. You can't press into this without genuine relationship with people who are different from you. God designed it that way. A big part of this, the first part of this, is will we enter into genuine relationships with people who are different from us? That it's real, it's genuine, that it's an authentic relationship, that's super important to God. So, for example, it is good to want to help people that are less fortunate than we are. But if that relationship is just based on pity, uh, people can tell. When I was in college, I helped with a uh, college ministry for the homeless in Seattle. Well, once or twice a week, we would go downtown Seattle. We, me and a buddy, we'd walk around a few blocks, and we, we would talk to homeless guys and, and sometimes pray for them. And we were trained in social services, how to connect them with social services, but, you know, the guys we talked to, they never really were interested in that. No, they were interested in telling us their stories and teasing us and telling us jokes. And as the weeks and months went by, it became more about just seeing our friends and checking in with them. Well, after a couple of years, a couple of guys like us that worked with the church, they, um, one of the guys like us, he got stabbed. And so the church didn't want us doing this anymore. Uh, we, then we started going to a uh, drop-in shelter. But you know, I felt the loss of seeing my friends on the street. Their stories, their jokes, their, their friendship was a gift to me. And I never would have received that gift if I hadn't gotten past just my pity and had real friends. Again, the goal here, what we're after, is genuine relationships with people that are different from us. You know, after George Floyd was murdered, after all the protests, many white folks, we, we, we wanted to do something about um, the sin of racism, right? We, we read books, and we learned about white privilege, and we, uh, we got challenged on getting proximate, and we realized that we didn't really have any black friends, and we, so we started reaching out to black people. And often, that was pretty cringeworthy, on behalf of white people, I would like to apologize to black folks. I, I would like to apologize for the times when, for us, it, it really wasn't about genuine relationship. We made friendship with you a project. And that can't have felt good. If that happened to you, I'm sorry. Holy Spirit, come and bring healing to the sin of racism in this country. Lord, bring racial reconciliation. This kingdom work that you are on, help us be part of it.
Come, Holy Spirit, come. And white folks, remember, it's about genuine relationship with people that are different from us. And so what does that look like? What does genuine relationship look like? Well, you, we see in the Bible that there's a whole spectrum, right? It, it's from, you know, being friendly, talking to people by a well, or maybe in the, in the break room at work, all the way to Moses marrying a foreigner's daughter, right? Be, be joining that family. So I guess if you're a single Democrat, time to date Republicans' children, or vice versa. No, seriously, though, where is the Holy Spirit inviting us, inviting us into? He's testing us. He's giving us the opportunity to make genuine relationships with people that are different from us. It it could be with people we already know in our lives, but we hold at arm's length. The first step could be inviting that crazy uncle over for dinner or that person at work to go get coffee. If there's people in our life that are different from us, we can, we can know who they are and we can picture them right now, but we would never want them in our home. We'd never want them sneaking into our house at night while we're asleep and giving us presents. Let's ask the Holy Spirit, should we reach out to them? Should we work for genuine relationship? Just do whatever the Holy Spirit says. It could also be that we're supposed to meet some new people. to to go to some new places, to try some new activities. Jesus had to go to Samaria. Maybe we need to go to a meeting, a talk, a a, a rally, a parade about something we disagree with. Maybe we need to help out at the food shelf or at the warming shelter. Maybe we need to go to new parts of town. And when we are there, just make a friend. Okay, don't, don't check a box. Don't make it a project. Just make a friend. Like all of God's law, obedience is the abundant life. Have fun with your new friend because fun is fun. And, and, and love across our differences, right? Let God's kingdom come in that relationship. All right, we have covered a lot of ground today. We really have. We've gone from Santa and the test video. We've looked at the Magi and Jethro and the the woman at the well. We've looked at the test of of our faith, right, of of humility and and who is Jesus. And we looked at the test of relationship, right? Who who are we and and genuine relationship. And all of this has been so that we we can hear God as he's inviting us to let people, people who are different than us, help us so we can become like Jesus and be part, of, be part of, of, of saving this world. I don't know about you, but this is a little overwhelming, right? It is a lot. And I, I have mixed feelings. I feel in some ways like the Holy Spirit is giving me a hug and punching me in the gut at the same time. It's challenging. And yet... I am super excited to see what he will do, what God will do in us, what he will do in our community as we actually surrender to the wisdom of God. Let's surrender to his wisdom. It is better. So I'm going to invite you to stand up with me now. If, you, if you're not familiar with the vineyard, if you haven't been here before, this is ministry time. We, we move into a time where we talk to God. We, we really listen to what he has to say to us. At home, we're, we're standing up here. If you're watching at home, I'd encourage you to get in a position to, to receive from God, to really listen to him. So Holy Spirit, I do welcome you here now. 
And Lord, I just want to start with my excitement. I am excited. God, if we were to, to actually do it your way, if we were to stop smoothing it over and taming what you're inviting us into, if we were actually to pursue reconciliation in all kinds of dimensions, racially and politically and, and, and economic, if we, if we were to pursue this in our world, here, now, in Duluth, Lord, that would, that would be such a bright light. That would point so many people to you, Jesus. If, if the Duluth Vineyard could be known for the place where they actually do love across their differences, they have genuine relationships, they welcome people who are different than them, and they love them in powerful ways. Lord, what a bright light that would be. People would see you, God, and they would love what you're up to. And so, God, I pray for that. I pray that you give us vision for how this is kingdom work, how this is what you are doing here and now in our time. This is the test for us. Will we take the opportunity to trust you? Will we press into it? And Lord, I know there are some of us that hear this call. We have heard it for a while and we have been trying to respond to it. And Lord, for those folks, I pray for just more. Pour more of your excitement. Pour more of that excitement into all of us that you are doing this. You want this. Lord, bless what we have already started, but continue that work. God, I feel like there's another group of us that we hear this and we're like, no, this isn't for me. This isn't a thing in my life. God, I pray that you break off the spirit of deception. In Jesus' name, I say no to the spirit of deception. This is something for all of us. Jesus wouldn't start, he wouldn't finish his first sermon on this topic if he didn't mean for it to also echo down through the ages. This is something for us. It is a real-life thing in all of our lives, loving people, reaching out to people, having genuine enough relationship with them that they would help us. This is a real thing for each and every one of us, God. Help us to get past our denial. Lord, I think for some of us, the denial, it's a defense mechanism because we are just so tired. The pandemic has just been so hard. We think the tank is empty. God, remind us who we are, children of God. You will give us the strength to do this. You will meet us in the midst of this in powerful ways. You will hold up our arms and give us the power to reach out to others. Come, Lord Jesus. And God, I, I also think that there's a group amongst us here who we do see where we have sinned in this area. We see the dark stain of racism even in our own hearts. We see how we have thought that anti-vaxxers are idiots or you know, liberals are fools and we make fun of them and we say nasty things about them on social media and we, we demonize people that are different than us or even worse, we just ignore them. We pretend like they don't exist. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to repent of our sin. Come, Lord Jesus. This is your work. 
We want to be about what you're doing. Come. You know, I'd like to invite the ministry team to come forward, and I'd like to invite Steph to say whatever she's about to say. Yeah, so I just really feel like this verse is being highlighted to me. It says, Romans 8, 1 through 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. And with it, I actually got this picture of a block of wood. And as John was preaching, I felt like the Holy Spirit was trying to like sand the edges of our hearts. Mm. Now for some of us, hearing this message is like incredibly confronting. And it's hard to like take in. But if you're following Jesus, you're free. You're free to follow what the Spirit's doing. It's about softening your heart and following what God is doing in the people around you. So there's a very sweet, sweet invitation. And yes, sometimes it feels a little confronting. I feel a little confronted right now myself. But there's something beautiful in us as followers of Jesus where we get to walk confident. We get to walk secure in the things that God is doing in us and in the people around us. So I really felt like that verse was for us this morning. Yeah. That's good. So again, I'd like to invite the ministry team to come forward. And if God is stirring in your heart, if you feel the Holy Spirit giving you an elbow, we'd love to have you come forward and let someone pray for you. Maybe you are excited about what God is doing in this area. You, 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 have, you have been, you've seen him work in you as you've reached out to people that are different and you want to celebrate that. We'd love to pray for that. Again, if, if you feel like you're not sure this is for you, let's, let someone pray for you. If you feel like there's things on your heart you need to confess and move past Feel that, feel that freedom of confession today. As Steph said, there is no condemnation. Reach, connect with Jesus and see what he's doing today. I'd also want to give a particular invitation. If you have felt the sin of racism, the sin of being the different person, the person that's different and having that weight come down on you, you felt the pain of that, we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to have you feel Jesus' healing here today. If there's really anything in your life that you need prayer for, if you're struggling in, in any dimension of your life, we would love to pray for you. We'd love to introduce you to Jesus. They're going to lead us in some more worship, and God's not done with us. Please slow down here. Give him some time to speak into your heart. Give him some time to, 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 to really test you and allow you to surrender to him. Thank you so much for coming to the vineyard today.